Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at heartofaman.org. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, kicking off our spring season and giving us an overview of the book of Acts. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you're inspired by the ideas. So the Christian church in Iran is the fastest growing church in the world based on uh, growth rates. It's growing at a rate of about 20%. There's 85 million people in Iran right now, and there's about 850,000 Christians in the country of Iran. Can you believe that? If somebody told you that, would you believe that based on what you're hearing? It's shocking, isn't it? And growing at a a rate of 20% annually, which means in five years it will double in size the Church of Iran. It's hard to believe. Most people go, what? There's Christians in Iran. There's over 850,000 Christians in Iran. It's crazy. A church leader in Iran explained why. He said, the Ayatollahs brought the true face of Islam to light, and people discovered it was a lie. After 40 years under Islamic law, a utopia, according to them, we had the worst devastation in the 5,000 years of our history as a country. That's how people feel. There's a great documentary out, guys, on YouTube right now produced by FIA. It's called Sheep Among Wolves. And it documents, it captures this reality of what's going on in Iran with the Christian church, which is being led primarily by women, which is generating disciples, and in their words, not converts. One of the church leaders was quoted as saying, disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus. They cling till he comes. Converts don't do that. Disciples aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fires come. Disciples don't. The Iranian church has no property or buildings. They believe they must create disciples one person at a time. Each disciple must make a disciple. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Their primary focus is called DMM, disciple-making That's what they do because they found that once they make disciples, a church will slowly form. And they don't have buildings because that's where they get killed. They gotta go wherever they can be safe. The Iranian church is experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, exactly the same spirit that's gonna show up in this book of Acts. When we read the book of Acts, you're gonna experience the power of the Holy Spirit. You're gonna watch him step on stage and say, now it's my turn. And Jesus said, I sent the Holy Spirit, and he's going to do some amazing things. And you're saying, oh, this happened 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is saying, oh, no. (laughs) You ought to go watch what I'm doing in Iran right now. You ought to see me in China. What I did 2,000 years ago, I'm still doing. I'm still on stage. My Holy Spirit's still alive. I'm creating disciples one person at a time, and I'm calling you to that. And I want you in that with me. That's what we're meant to do. 
That's what we do. We pursue him. That's what they do in Iran because when they pursue him, their life's always at danger. They're always about ready to die. But they love Jesus Christ so much, they go make another disciple. They find another person. You know, when you think about America and you think about us, we are so overfed in our freedom that we really don't care about making disciples at all, do we? Anybody can come to Jesus. Anybody can know him. It's right there. We just sort of don't care anymore that much, do we? These guys' lives are on the line every day. They care deeply about what it is. And so what you got to ask yourself is, well, what's the threat to me? And it's this. I'm so overfed with freedom that I no longer really have a passion to follow and be a disciple or even make one. So what freedom has gotten you consumed so much you don't even think about that anymore. Americans got drunk on the idea that freedom was really what we should be all about. And Jesus doesn't care about your freedom. He cares about your obedience to him. So guys, America was started by Christians that came from Europe that wanted to pursue and follow Jesus Christ. And that same spirit needs to come back alive in us. And we need to carry that. We need to go forth. There's men starving all around us for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're the men that have been called for that. And we're going to see in the book of Acts that lived out in ways that are going to inspire us. And it's going to move us. And the question is, is are you going to move when the inspiration comes? Or are you just going to go, eh, I feel good. I'm comfortable. I'm good with where I am. That's going to be the challenge. And it has been for me as I've started to prepare for this. It's been just really challenging you guys tonight we start reading these historical counts of the christian disciples during the 30 years after the resurrection of jesus christ and my desire is that you will catch that passion from the vision of these men that you'll allow their words to ignite the holy spirit in you and that you will become a fired up witness for jesus christ you'll let it ignite you don't squelch it, let it burn, let it get you excited, let it get you fired up again. Let that passion come. He's calling you to that and I pray it will happen to you. The study should challenge that in you. It should push you. It should feel uncomfortable. It should scare you to go, what, what is this thing calling me to? It should scare you, it should take your breath away and then you should move into that. He's asking for us to reach and make disciples one man at a time not churches, disciples, not converts, disciples. That's what he's calling us to, you guys. So as we look at this book of Acts, I'm going to give you a quick overview. I'm going to tell you some facts about it so you understand some of the background, and then I'm going to tell you three key ideas that are sitting in this with applications, and then we're going to end, all right? And we'll be done in 20 minutes. So let's go there. F.F. Bruce is a really good commentator in this space. He's done a really nice job. He's a conservative commentator that uh, has written well in this, uh, in this book of Acts. If you look to read commentators, I like what he's written. F.F. Bruce uh, clearly identifies Luke as the author of book of Acts. And he goes back and actually finds that there's something called the history of Christian origins that was actually what Luke had written originally. And it's got both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts combined in this one peace. And it was not until the second century where they were separated into the gospel and to the book of Acts. So F.F. Uh, F. Bruce is one of the few peoples that have pointed that out. It's an interesting fact. 
He's corroborated by the church fathers that we look at. So in the first century, that 100 to 200 years after Jesus, there were some significant fathers, and we've got their writings. Their writings are still available to us. And every one of those guys like Polycarp, Irenaeus, Tertullian, and Augustine all ascribe the book of Acts to Luke. So we can trust from good commentators and from those founding fathers that Luke is probably the author of the book of Acts. And then when we look into the Gospel of Luke and we look into the intro of the book of Acts, there's one common denominator of both, and they're both addressed to somebody named Theophilus. And he just describes these documents. He says, I've written these most excellent Theophilus so that you would know the truth of what has happened with Jesus Christ. And he says that in both of those. So we're very confident that Luke is the author of the book of Acts. What do we know about Luke? In, in Colossians 4.14, Paul calls him the beloved physician. And so the, going back and through the records, we find out that in fact, Luke was a doctor, right? And so I met a couple doctors tonight. And uh, the one thing I know about doctors, they're well-educated, they're detail-oriented, and they make good money. <laughs> he, was, he made good money, so he made a good income. This is important. He traveled with Paul, and so when you go look in Acts 16 through 28, those last chapters, 16 through 28, there's these verses where he moves from describing Paul, he and they, to we, 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 we. Whole back half of the book of Acts, he says we all over the place. So we're confident Luke was a companion of Paul lived with him side by side, traveling with him. So he's learning and taking in the knowledge of that. In 2 Timothy uh, and, uh, and Philemon, Paul says that he was with him. So these two letters, 2 Timothy and Philemon, he says, Paul was with me. And most scholars would agree he was Greek. So he's a Greek doctor, well-educated, traveled with Paul. Kevin DeYoung a modern scholar, he actually believes, he wrote a really compelling argument that Luke was writing both the gospel of Luke and Acts to Theophilus, who was a wealthy doctor as well, and saying, I want you to see in these two pieces how wealthy men get it wrong and how wealthy men get it right. And he draws your attention to that. So I would ask you as you look through Acts to watch for the parallels that Luke writes in and you will watch him compare poorly done rich guy, well done rich guy. Poorly done wealthy guy, well done wealthy guy. He will do that, you'll notice that. He believes that in fact, Paul and Luke worked through the wealthy communities to do a lot of their evangelism. You don't hear that a lot. I hadn't read that until I read Kevin DeYoung's piece. I really liked it. Acts also does this. It connects the Gospels, these places where we see all this thing about Jesus to Paul's letters. And so if, you're a, if you've read any of the Bible, there's these letters that Paul's written to these churches, and then there's these Gospels. So there's these stories about Jesus, and then these letters that Paul writes to these churches. If you don't have the book of Acts, none of that makes any sense. I mean, it's literally gobbledygook. You have no idea what he's talking about. Who are these people in Galatia? Who are these guys in Ephesus? What is this group in Corinth? Who are these Roman people? What, how did, what's the connection? This book is vital to the connection of the Gospels to Paul's letters. And again, remember, letters in the church world are called epistles, right? So we don't call them letters because you got to use the church word epistle, right? So it's an epistle. Yeah. So I'm learning these things, guys. I'm still a rookie in this space, but I'm picking up the lingo, right? So 
What else does this do? This letter, this book of Acts does one thing that's very significant for Paul. It validates that he had a radical conversion, and because of that conversion, he had a, a experience with Jesus Christ where he actually experienced the resurrected Jesus, which gave him the authority to be called an apostle. It's critical because Paul is calling himself an apostle. As you guys know, there were 12, Judas bailed, right? They replaced him with Matthias. We're going to see that. And so you're going, well, there's 12 plus one, which is Paul. So there's 13. So Paul takes that on himself. And some people are like, you can't take that on yourself, dude. You just can't run around and call yourself an apostle. The book of Acts validates why, because of his conversion, his conversion experience. Really important. Here's another key thing that it does. It shows that Christians were law-abiding citizens, there's a lot going on in these letters that Paul's writing. You're going to see it. The Jews are getting very frustrated with this Jewish sect called Christians. Guys, we started from the Jewish faith. That's where we are. Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish, right? We came out of the Jewish faith. We're an extension. We're the completion of what God started in the Jews. And so the Jews were very upset with the Christians. They were creating a lot of problems for them in all these cities they would go to. So they would create problems, blame the Christians, and try to get the local government riled up against the Christians. And the book of Acts was Luke's way of saying, we're not the bad guys. The Christians weren't the bad guys. Look what happened in these court cases. They got vindicated. Paul got vindicated. They didn't do anything wrong. It was the Jewish rabble that was setting them up. This was critical information to show to Theophilus, his Roman friend, this is what actually happened and for us to know what actually happened. So Luke is trying to clear the air in essence here. This is really important, right? He also describes the first 30 years of the church, you guys. So Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus's resurrection, right? We see this event happen called Pentecost, 50 days after Pente. So, and we're going to look at that in chapter two. And this is the birthday of the church. The Holy Spirit comes in and touches 120 people. They just absolutely have an amazing experience filled with the Holy Spirit and go out and really proclaim that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. So it goes through and describes what happens in those 30 years. It's extremely valuable. Luke is very detailed. He's very detailed. The people, the scholars that read this are blown away by his archaeology, by his history, by his biographies of people. His recollection of court cases was absolutely on point. And there's many of the people that have come back over the years and have challenged those things and have found out everything he wrote was exactly right. He's very trustworthy, you guys. He helps us see the, uh, the church roles of things like apostles and deacons for the first time. We get to see those documented, how they came about and how they're defined. He highlights this power of prayer and worship in corporate settings. He shows us what's going on there and why that's important and why we do that. We get this incredible picture of that. He showcases something that we've never seen before at this moment, which is the first death of a Christian, Stephen. And so the word martyr is a Greek word for witness. And martyr means dying for Jesus now because of Stephen dying as a witness for Jesus Christ. So martyr gets attached to Stephen. That word becomes part of the witnessing thing. And we see Stephen die and stoned to death. And Saul, Paul, is actually standing there helping process that and making it happen, and then he switches sides. And then we see something else. This is what makes you deeply respect the Bible and Luke. He shows us the dark side of the church. 
And every one of us at some point will find out there's a dark side to the church. Churches are filled for guys just like you and me, and we don't do things well sometimes. We hurt each other, we break promises, we sin, people get hurt, the church gets hurt, there's damage done, and Luke does not save us from that. He shows us that. We will see that too, you guys. That's what makes me so confident the Bible's true is because they show us the dark side as well. And the other thing on this is the date. Some people get hung up on the date of documents. I'll tell you this. There's no description of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD in this document. That was a big deal. Jerusalem's destroyed by Rome in 70 AD, and it doesn't talk about it in the book of Acts. They also find out that Nero's persecuting Christians in Rome in 64 AD. There's nothing said about that. So some scholars would say that this book was written prior to 64 AD. A lot of debate on here. The scholars are heavily divided, you guys. What I would say is from what I can tell and what I've read, somewhere between 62 and 90 AD is when Luke penned this document. And it's really cool because that's pretty close to when Jesus was alive and when all those eyewitnesses were there. And when that historical document is that close to when it happened, you can trust it's probably accurate. And data has shown that it is. He highlights key leaders. Peter in chapters 1 through 12 shows up as a rock star. James, the brother of Jesus, shows up in Acts 15. The brother of Jesus who did nothing, wanted nothing to do with Jesus prior to his resurrection shows up in Acts 15, leading the church in Jerusalem. That's cool, isn't it? And Paul in chapters 13 through 28 then takes center stage, and we watch him take Christ to the rest of the world in an amazing way. This is what the book of Acts looks like. And then he showcases the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. And then power will come on you when the Holy Spirit rests on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the first thing Jesus says to these guys that gives them a command. They're saying, well, when are you coming back? And he says, stop worrying about when I come back. I'm going to empower you to be my witness. And that's your call. Stay focused on the task. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit to give you power. I'm going to empower you to do this. And he showcases that through this Bible. It is really something to see. This, this Holy Spirit gets talked about at least 21 times in the book in context with witnessing, with witnessing, martyring. They tie those together. Four speeches that Peter does are all accompanied with Peter being filled with the Spirit, which tells us when we're called to stand before God, before man, in the presence of people who don't know him, and we speak Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit will rise up and speak on his behalf. Don't you worry. Just do it, right? That's his point. We see Peter do that. It's powerful, you guys. And then we see Stephen, the the first martyr, die, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit of God. He's looking and staring into heaven, and he can see God, and Jesus is standing there to receive him, right? Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful stuff, you guys, and we see this over and over. It's powerful. Three significant themes. God has a mission. In Luke 4.43, Jesus said these words, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. That's why I was sent. Jesus tells us his purpose. It's my purpose is to go preach the good news everywhere. That's why I came, right? And so this is God's mission. That's his mission. 
That's what he's here to do, you guys, is to make sure everybody knows Jesus Christ, who he is, who this man is. We're to share the gospels. And Gentiles are brought in by Peter and Paul. It was not just for the Jews. So the question you gotta ask yourself, how do you see yourself supporting God's mission? How are you supporting that mission? As a Christian called to be a witness and to go make disciples, how do you support this mission of God's? How? How do you do it? Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower his witnesses. We see it at Pentecost. He comes. The birth of the church is amazing. The the Holy Spirit, we see him all over the book. At least 40 times he shows up, impacts numerous decisions and events. He's everywhere. The Holy Spirit is all over the place. At my company, we call the Holy Spirit the X Factor, and we call him the wild man, and we let him loose. We say he can go anywhere at our company, man. Let the wild man loose. Let the Holy Spirit run free at Packmore, man. Wherever he goes, let him go, right? That's what was going on in the book of Acts, you guys. So the question I would have is, how are you allowing the Holy Spirit to empower you? Is he wild man in your heart? Or you got him bottled up and caged and boxed out and sitting in a corner somewhere? Is he running wild in your, in your stable? Is he taking you out on the range or you got him sitting down and calmed down and neutered and backed down into a corner? What's the Holy Spirit allowed to do with you? And lastly, God gives every follower the opportunity to get on point, right? He chooses people to live out this mission he's got. He's got a mission, he sent his Holy Spirit, and he said, and I need people to live it out. I need people, and we see him do this all over the place, right? Peter, Cornelius, Lydia, Stephen, Paul, James, Timothy, Barnabas. We meet these people for the first time in the book of Acts, people you've never heard of before. And you think about Lydia, and she's just this nobody on the back page. Lydia was a wealthy lady who had homes that they worked out of. And the letters that Paul was writing were being delivered to her house and disseminated all over the place. You didn't know anything about Lydia. Well, maybe they don't, don't know much about you either, right? But somebody will know about you when you get to heaven because you can be behind the scenes working just like that. And that's what God's called every one of us to be on mission with him. He's calling you into that. So the question is, are you on mission? How are you making yourself available to God? Lydia opened up her home and her business and allowed the disciples to use her money and her assets and her resources. How are you allowing God to make yourself part of what he's doing? Are you available to him? Are you just making yourself available? How are you doing that? That's the challenge you're gonna feel when you study the book of Acts. Are you being available to God so he can move in ways he's wanna move? You guys, this is what's going on in the, in the church right now. It's gonna be a powerful study. This book of Acts will move you. I'm gonna close with this thought. I talked to you about my friend David who goes to church here. And uh, we went to see him at Christmas and a week later I got a letter from him. I'm like, oh, I just saw you, man, like you wrote me a letter already. And it was really cool though. He had spent a week writing this letter. It was three pages, like tiny print. I mean, he just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And it was a testimony of how much Christ had been moving in his life. I mean, he literally just went on and on about how Jesus had saved his soul and rescued him from himself and how broken he is and how much he's seen in his life. But the part that stirred me was this. He said, I watched the Christmas service for the first time And I saw Jesus born, and then I heard about his dying for me, and I actually cried for the first time in my life. Dave's 35. (laughs) He's grown up Christian. 
And he never cried when he thought about Jesus dying for him. He never cried. It never moved him to tears. And he did this Christmas, you guys. And the reason he could is because he's in a place where men help him get unaddicted to pornography and he could experience the love of Jesus Christ for the first time in his life because he got with a group of men who helped him deal with a problem he couldn't fix on his own and he helped himself to be vulnerable and said, I just can't fix who I am without some help. And God said, I'll honor that. I'll meet you there. And he opened him up to experience something that was beautiful and it brought me to tears as I read it and I said, wow, that's life-changing. My life's just like Dave's. It would have never changed if one guy hadn't pursued me and brought me to a bunch of Christian stuff. One guy chased me down and said, you need to start coming with me. And he chased me and brought me and took me to things just like this. 31 years ago, I started doing what we're doing here tonight. I started doing this with another guy who just said, yeah, I care about you, Bill. Why don't you come do some of this stuff with us? Guys, this is where transformation takes place. Jesus Christ works through other men to help change other men. Only God can self-perpetuate. Only God can fix himself. God said it's not good for man to be alone. He knew it. You can't fix yourself on your own, you guys. Whatever you got that's broken in, you can't fix by yourself. You can't do it. And you can come read the Bible and you can pray and you can sit in your room and you can hope all of that's going to happen. And God said that was never the plan I had. I never had that plan. When, God, when Adam was in the garden with me and we were in good standing with each other, it was then I said it's not good for man to be alone, which meant God before the fall decided that it was important that men be connected through relationship. He had designed that before we were sinners, not after. We're built for relationship, guys. You will heal in this environment. This place will start to bring you. These men will start to heal you. You will find strength. You will find power. You'll find courage. You'll find friends. You will find a new direction in your life if you just stick with it. I promise you, you will. We started at the heart of a man so we could reach guys just like you. And I would ask you, would you please invite one other guy to join you? Please don't do this alone. You got to be with somebody, all right? Don't do it alone. Invite another guy. And lastly, I would ask you this. Please consider reading a book by Tom Doyle called Dreams and Visions is Jesus Awakening the Muslim World. Tom Doyle, Dreams and Visions is Jesus Awakening the Muslim World. It'll help you see what Jesus started 2,000 years ago. He hasn't stopped doing. You will hear stories all over the Middle East of Muslims coming to Jesus Christ in ways that will, you will not believe what you're reading. And it will blow your mind. And you will see how God can use you if you will simply say, I'm open, God, just use me any way you can. He will use you and you will change someone's life. You may save their life and you may not even realize it. I would encourage you to do that. I hope all of this time will inspire you and it'll get you excited and it'll get you excited about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just a convert, guys. We need to move now. It's time to be disciples. The Holy Spirit's on the move. He's moving among men in this room. He's moving in College Park. That's why he's called us together. It's time to start being disciples. Disciples.